0: Welcome, this is Sidebar.
1: Sidebar, a frank discussion on the law, life, and liberty. Sponsored by the LaHood Norton Law Group. And now, your objections sustained. Your hosts, Karen Klaus and former Bear County District Attorney, Nico LaHood.
0: 1200 WOAI. this is Sidebar with Nico LaHood, and of course, Nico is with the LaHood-Norton Law Group. And good morning, Nico. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm great. Um, there's so many things going on in the news this week, and I wanted a chance to at least touch on a lot of them. Okay. Uh, one of them, uh, when I read about it, I was like, ah, I, I will definitely want to bring that up because it seems like we're always talking about it, and mm-hmm. that is prayer in school. Oh, yeah. Trump administration this week says he is moving to strengthen protections for students who want to pray and worship in school. And so we had talked about this before, and I wanted to bring it up because Trump says that his administration has been engaged in a cultural war to defend school prayer from left. And we've mentioned this. And what I'm talking about is uh, the separation of church and state. And it isn't illegal or it isn't against the law for children to pray in school correct or not correct
1: well no it's not illegal it was not encouraged and i think there was a push and we talked about this i don't know if it was last show or the show before i talk about it often so i forget where i talk about it and i actually present on this with my buddy george we'll have george on here with us one of these weeks on whether our country is in foundation a judeo-christian country And it is. The answer is it is. I don't mean to give you the answers to the test, but it is in foundation and ideology. Now, with that being said, that doesn't mean that this is a country that pushes a certain ideology or faith on people. But the separation of church and state is not in our Constitution. It's not our Declaration of Independence. It's not in any of our founding documents. That came from a private letter, I believe, in 1801 from then President Jefferson to the Dansbury Baptists who were thanking President Jefferson. They were supporting President Jefferson. He was writing them back, thanking them for their support and their prayers. And what he said is we need to keep it separate. We need to make sure that the government, if you look at it in context and context matters, I'm sure we're gonna talk about that later on the show too, context matters that separate the, the state from infringing on the church's right, on the people's right to pray. And so what people need to understand, our founding fathers were very clear That the citizens were going to be exposed to Judeo-Christian principles, just not forced to believe them. That You can believe what you want. And we talked about last week about biblical principles that if they're violated in all of society, even a secular, atheist, agnostic person's worldview— that they, they just there's disorder and then offends them.
0: It it's uh, I just heard somebody talking about this or saying this statement this week and it was like wow that is amazing. Uh, the question was why is it that atheist groups fight against God when they say God doesn't exist?
1: So well, because they're, they're they're trying to meet. Look, I, I understand that's a cute little argument from from Christians and I'm just being honest and real. But they they're, they're trying to meet us where we're at. So if we're claiming that there's a transcendent God, there's a creative being and an uncaused first cause, essentially. Then they're trying to say, well, since you believe in there's a God, let me argue against your idea of God. And then the, the Christian in, in good with good intention says, aha, how can you argue against something you don't believe is there? Okay, well, they're they're trying to meet us where we're at. They truly don't believe God exists versus an agnostic that says, hey, I'm not sure what I believe or not. There's something, but I don't know who or what it is, there's a difference. That's my opinion.
0: So some believe that President Trump is making these moves to strengthen the protections for students who want to pray or worship in schools because he's trying to get the backing of the far right, or it's a political move. But one way or another, what you said before, how can any president, any person say that they want to apply Christian principles to anything and... It not be political. I don't, does that make sense? I, mean, you know, I,
1: I think I know what you're saying. First of all, I, I don't believe the president is trying to get the backing of the far right. And I'm going to say this very clearly. I do not consider Christians far right. They're just not. They're, they're far right, meaning that they're in the right position. They're not far right as in opposite of left. I mean, that, that, that far right position is, 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 a, is a derogatory term. And it's not used in support of, it's usually a cut down or you're nuts, you're far right, you're far left, you're whatever. So Christians are, are just, they're with Christ and they believe in a biblical worldview. Wherever that puts us on the continuum, that puts us. If it means far right, far left, in the middle, to me, it's where Christ was, which was perfect. Okay, I want to make sure, we, so I don't know if he's trying to get the back end of the quote unquote far right, um, but <clears throat> but there, there needs to be a protection. And, and I want to go back, I wanted to say this earlier, I want to be real clear about this and And this is part of a presentation when we talk about Judeo-Christian Foundation in this country. Congress made two very, very clear declarations back in 1853 and 1856. This is nothing new. There were groups not as vocal or not as strong as today's groups. There wasn't social media. There wasn't all the ways of communicating we have today. But they were petitioning Congress to move chaplains from Army, from the armed services, remove any notion of God from governmental buildings, from just anything. They wanted all that. So Congress did something very unique. They actually did some homework. And they took a year to research this. They went back to founding father letters, the founding father's letters, which were their emails. They went back to speeches. They went back to law. They went to precedence in the law. They John Jay, the first chief justice of the Supreme Court, you know, Benjamin Franklin's letters, Jefferson's letters, Benjamin Rush, you know James Madison, all the founding fathers. George Washington, his, his his address when he was leaving office, and here's and this is in the minutes of Congress. Don't don't trust Nico LaHood. You can go check this out yourself, and listen to this quote from Congress in 1853, in response to that that inquiry: Had the founding fathers during the Revolution had a suspicion of any attempt? To war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. Strong words. At the time of the adoption of the Constitution and the amendments, the universal sentiment was that Christianity, here's the word, should be encouraged, but not any one denomination. In this age, there is no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants, end quote. lot there, Right. So we know that our, the 56 signers of the Declaration, 29 of them had today's equivalent of a theology degree. That's, that's a substantial number. And the other ones were quote-unquote believers at different levels. At, at, at best, a few of them were agnostic, at best. But, but this was not this idea that these were atheistic or, or non-faith. I don't like saying religious, non-faith people. Also something in that statement, but not any one denomination, Christianity should be encouraged. It wasn't a question whether the Christian worldview was the predominant worldview back then. I mean, there was like 2,500 Jews back then. Only 2% of the country or something in that nature, don't hold me to that exact number, did not believe in a Judeo-Christian worldview. The only battle was over being a Baptist, a Catholic.
0: I was going to ask you that. Protestant,
1: Presbyterian, Methodist. So whatever, the battle was over the denomination, not over the worldview of Christianity. And I think that's clear. I'll, I'll, I'll say the second quote and then I'll let you talk. Sorry for talking so much in 1856 so 3 years later they had another declaration it was even more specific from congress it's in the minutes as well and it's interesting because there was this battle in the country remember in 1859 darwin comes out with the origin of species by natural selection so it was this there was this battle in schools and academia versus creationism do we believe in a creator or, or or evolution you know natural selection through random mutation that theory so here's the quote that came out in 1856 the great vital and conservative element of in our system, that is, the thing that holds our system together is the belief of our people in the pure doctrines and the divine truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. End quote. I mean, these are these are look, I get it, and I respect my atheist friends and my agnostic friends and my Hindu and Islamic and and Buddhist and and all other kinds of friends I have and, and acquaintances and people that I don't even know. But we 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 shouldn't rewrite history, and 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 I'm telling you, when I say I'm just tipping the iceberg, Karen, this is just the tip of the iceberg of letters, of statements, of speeches. I mean, it was it's just clear. You just look at the document in, itself, and in, in inalienable rights by our Creator, rights that cannot be alienated from us by a government. They weren't given to us by government. They can't be taken away by government. They were given by a transcendent God, a transcendent being that gave us these rights by our Creator. That means that we are the created. And then that's just real. Now, if someone doesn't believe in the Judeo-Christian God, that's fine. Uh, I, I questioned it myself, and you and I have gone through that, and you know that. And I had very hard questions after my brother was murdered. I grew up very, in a denominational belief, and I was pissed off at God. I, was, he, you know, I couldn't believe he allowed bad things to happen to these good people, what I thought we was good. And, and I had a lot of questions, and I went through this, this very, very years and years of being in the prison of, a, of anger, of resentment of angry at god or the idea of god i believed he existed i just didn't believe in his character and i and i when i finally gave look at the arrogant statement gave him a chance <laughs> i i i i asked some tough questions with my lawyer hat on and i asked questions from genesis to creation to the gen the old testament levitican law 66 books the gnostic gospels the dead sea scrolls why these books? The Council of Chef El Sedan, the Council of Trent, the Council of Nicaea. Why those books? What about these books? Bu- I mean, I asked some lawyer questions under cross-examination, and then I came to the conclusion I came to, and that's why I'm a Christian.
0: Well, I have a dumb question. When we come back, <laughs> well then, how did it get so misunderstood? <laughs> Maybe you can help me with that. It's all coming up next on Sidebar on WOAI. 1200 W-O-A-I. This is Sidebar with Nico LaHood, LaHood Norton Law. Of course, you can always give us a call here at WOAI at 210 737 1200. Or if you need the help of an attorney, you can always contact LaHood Norton. LahoodNorton.com and that's also 210-7977700. You always
1: get those numbers. Confused.
0: I know, I know. <laughs> I should never give them together because that's what happens. They're, they're similar. <laughs> okay, so we're we're talking about, you know, we've talked about it a bunch of times, but people, I mean, things keep coming up that make me keep on wanting to go back to separation of church and state and we were talking about how the Trump administration says they want to strengthen the protection for students who want to pray or worship in public schools and and I it brings me to the the newest lawsuit that's come up and that is the uh, chick-fil-A lawsuit it was in the news just This week that said a lawsuit by a group of conservative activists who alleged the city of San Antonio violated a new Texas law because city council refused to allow Chick-fil-a restaurant at the airport Mm -hmm. They can go ahead and move forward and we were talking earlier the last segment about Mm -hmm. our government the Constitution and it clearly was based on Christian principles because you see the word God you know in well in, you have to define
1: what that means i mean but it was definitely referencing the judeo-christian god i mean that's not even it's, it's not a question i mean you look at our monuments down in washington dc i mean seriously people don't do these things and and again it doesn't mean you can't believe what you believe i mean i love engaging my friends and, and acquaintances of, of different world views and, and 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 it's fascinating to me it reminds me of the old days of the greeks and you know where they 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 got inside of the the square and they had debates and they had discussions and freedom of expression and freedom of thought and freedom of speech guess what those are our principles that's are our constitutional rights we have it's unfortunate the freedom of thought expression and speech is being infringed on today and it's 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 gradually happened and i think there's a lot of different reasons for that but it's just unquestionable and, and matter of fact since this keeps coming up here and i know this fascin- it interests you as well and i hope it'll interest our listeners that uh george and i will come on and it might take more than one show, but we'll discuss the, the roots of, of this country in, in a very objective, not, not a very subjective, meaning not thinking of us as the subject, but the object is whether this country has Judeo-Christian foundation as their roots in ideology and ideology in forming the civic government. And, and it's, it's astoundingly, overwhelmingly, yes. And then the proof is, is, is an embarrassment of riches.
0: So whether it is prayer in schools mm-hmm. or a lawsuit... Uh, saying that the city had discriminated against Chick-fil-A on religious grounds, it constantly brings up the the question to me,
1: then how is it always so misconstrued or misunderstood? Uh, that- you know, I, I, think, I think the church is the big city church. This is not any one church. I think the church has done a bad job, to be honest with you. I really do, and I say that lovingly. I'm not saying that in a condescending or disrespectful way, more of an objective analysis. As someone... Who grew up "quote unquote" in a religious environment? I went to Catholic schools literally all my life, from monastery to St. Mary's University, all the way through through university and law school. I mean, I had an idea of what God was, His character, Christ. I couldn't tell you why I was a Christian. I couldn't give you the "why" answer. I just kind of repeated some sound bites, and and I didn't understand Scripture. I didn't. I mean, I read the Bible a few, I mean, a little bit. I didn't study the Bible, and and it, there needs to be a proper handling of it and studying. And so I think over time, because the church as a whole might have mismanaged or mishandled certain issues, maybe they might have been theologically correct, but in in their application and, and how to handle it, they might have done it wrong, and the perception was out there that that Christians are whatever. I think they overcorrected, and then they when you stay quiet in the forties and fifties, you see this gradual this this gradual movement there and and this fundamentalist movement that that came about around that time. Churches kind of got out of, of the of the political business. They got out of the school business, and then that led to 1962. In that case, I think we spoke about last week, Engel versus Vital, where the Supreme Court wrongfully decided, in my humble opinion, that no more biblical principles are taught in public schools. Notice they didn't say no more evangelizing that Christ is the Messiah or the Savior. They didn't say that. Just say biblical principles, and I talked about those nine that I just picked off the top of my head last week over time that we shared and and I think that's where it went wrong and then the church kind of quieted down then we got into this age of political correctness and the church started being PC over BC biblically correct and I think that was a problem and then there's some churches that weren't politically correct but they were just a bunch of what words can't I use I can I can use ass (laughs) they were a bunch of asses and and you know, and, and I think that this left a perception. And I think it's that's my opinion. I can dissect that more, but I'm trying to give you the shortest answer I can to your question.
0: So does being a Christian mean being passive?
1: Oh, no. no Even well, if the
0: law isn't being followed?
1: No, no. There's, there's nothing in, in Christian doctrine that advocates passivity at all. And turn the other cheek does not mean that. You have to look at the, the hermeneutics, the translation, the linguistics, the language at the time. That was more for insult and you read in context. Context matters. That passage in Matthew, uh, turn the other cheek, is not passivity. Um, no, not at all. There's nothing in the Christian doctrine. Now, meekness in Matthew 5 is encouraged, but not weakness. Meekness just means humble and gentle. But that does not mean to be weak. And the, there's there's t- tons of examples of people that were strong. King David, Joshua, David, even Christ himself was kicking some ass in the temple when they were disrespecting the temple. And so, no, there's no passivity in the Christian doctrine.
0: So how is it that... A church or churches can take a move to to take a stand and not be political. Is there a, is there even a way to do that? Is there you know, a way to that, teach them that
1: we, on, on the on the podcast on our radio Christianity last Thursday? We talked about this. We had Pastor Alex Fleming in the, on there and he's a guy that used to be, hey, you know, hands off, you know, don't don't talk about politics in church. And and here's the problem. People have, are, are allowing society to define terms. Politics, the root word of politics itself, political, política, depending on the version you use, it just means advocacy. And 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 when you further dissect the word, it means the affairs of the city. So what are you advocating for the affairs of the city? Now the platform of politics is the Democrat, Republican, Green, Independent, whatever. That's different. So I, I think what people meant to do over the years was I'm not gonna support a quote unquote platform, but the politics have to be talked about. Absolutely. I mean, abortion is a political issue now, but that's something that the church should take a stand on. Uh, biblical marriage is a, is, a, is, a, is a stance that the church just talks about what the Bible says. I mean, the, the, the preservation of life, generosity, helping the poor. These are all political issues. Some of them are easier to talk about than others. I get it, but but they should be talked about. So politics should be addressed in the church. Platforms should be left out. Politics will lead you to a platform eventually. But politics, meaning social issues, things that are affecting our day-to-day stuff, should absolutely should be talked about in the church.
0: So what you're saying then is to have, have, a, have your church talk about beliefs and decisions that people make. It's having that background and that base that will allow them to feel one way or another toward a platform. It, sure. I'm if trying to understand you know, that.
1: Eventually, look, a, a political party is just a way to express ideas. That's all it is. I mean, it really is. I mean, uh, it was warned against some of our founding fathers against the two-party system. That was kind of warned against. But, but all it is is a way to express what you believe. Now, in the, I would say, ten, twenty years ago, for sure, Democrats and Republicans weren't much different. The classical liberal is not the leftist of today, and and the conservative person. And there were different ideologies about that. The Republican Party stood for one thing. Now it changed over the years. Democrat Party stood for one thing, then it changed over the years, and it's changed again. And so the platforms kind of adapt. But the politics supporting the platforms are really the same. I mean, people's ideologies or thoughts might change. But what principles do we go back to to evaluate that? So uh, the, the political party system is interesting. I've been involved in it very intimately and specifically. And so I'm not speaking from a position of theory or or ignorance. And And it's interesting to see how – I mean, politics sucks. And if you want a friend in politics in, in the political arena, buy a dog because it's very, <laughs> it's very interesting. But we need good people in politics, man. We need good people to to run our our, our local and, and statewide and in national governments. And people should be involved and educated. And then, look, don't don't complain about something. Don't bitch about something you're not involved in. Get involved, educate yourself, and then stand by your decisions. And always have an open mind to adapt as you get older and you get new information.
0: So is it possible then for a company, a company like Chick-fil-A to follow their beliefs and still be successful? And and one thing that I'm talking about is the the recent decision for Chick-fil-A this was after the whole airport thing mm-hmm. for them to say, OK, we are no longer going to be giving to Salvation Army, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, those two religious organizations, because they may yep. may have. I think I think they
1: made a huge mistake on that, in my humble opinion. I mean, they get the founding, the founder had certain ideologies and Christian beliefs that got them to the place they were. I mean, you can't appease. A certain ideology that that are not based off logic and so For them to give in and they try to give some BS ex- excuse why they're doing that. Well, we're just gonna focus on this well, BS. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna call you out lovingly. Yeah, speak the truth in love and I'm really humble myself when I say that, but no, it's not this. the bottom line is you gave to organizations that have Judeo Christian beliefs and 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 it touched on other ideologies that are not supported by certain groups Fine, then just agree to disagree but that's it. They weren't taking stances against certain things. They were saying, look, we're just supporting these, these organizations that are Christian in nature. And they, 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 want, they want Chick-fil-A to denounce now their whole culture. I mean, it's never enough. It's never going to be enough. And that's wrong. I don't see the same attack on Islamic organizations. Islamic groups, if you understand Islam and the Hadith and the Quran and the, the Sira, I've, I've studied it extensively. I mean, they take very strong stances on certain social issues, extreme. Forget about advocating a certain way. They take extreme positions. And so I, I, it's this unbalanced, unequal, I think the word people use a lot, attack on Christian ideology over every other ideology. And I just think we all just need to sit down and talk and use some logic and respect people, love on people, the way, for me, the way Christ did. But also be courageous and bold and stand your ground, so to speak, and not give in to to fear or to feelings or emotion.
0: That is amazing. And in other words, don't cave to the extremists. Well, Stay don't the cave. course. Look, I
1: mean, look, if someone believes in whatever ideology, don't cave. I mean, if it makes sense, then maybe adapt and change. I'm always up. I'm going to keep learning until I stand before the Lord. I don't know everything. I'm going to do my best to properly handle God's word. I want to live my life very consistently. I want to be courageous and bold, but also gracious and empathetic and sympathetic. And forgiving, it's, it's a tough balance, but I can't do it without without Christ for me. And I've done it the other way, and my life was a mess. You know that. I've, I'm very open about my testimony. So,
0: You're listening to Sidebar with Nico LaHood on WOAI. Is Sidebar with Nico LaHood, LaHood Norton Law. Please give us a call anytime if you want to comment on uh, something we're talking about. It's two one zero seven three seven twelve hundred. We've got to touch on the impeachment because things are moving forward, President. Of course, we do. Yes, no one
1: else can talk about anything else,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? President Trump plans on—I uh, guess he has added. Uh, independent counsel Kenneth Starr, and then also defense attorney Alan Dershowitz to his legal team for his trial by the Senate. And if you don't know who Dershowitz is, which is really hard to believe, (laughs) he has had many, I guess, high-profile defendants like O.J. Simpson and Klaus von Bülow, Mike Tyson. And I always used to, when I thought and, you know, heard about him, I'm like, he's a Democrat, isn't he? How could he be? Then I remember what you said. Yeah. It's all about getting to the truth. And he well, is definitely one that does that. Well,
1: Mr. Dershowitz is a classical liberal. He's, he is an old school blue dog Democrat, it seems like to me. Like, like I, when I ran, I was the same way. And But he's militantly passionate for the law and truth. And he understands that the society we set up is the society we have to deal with. And that is promulgated after the justice system. Things when things go wrong in our society, we go to a system to make them right. We don't have anarchy, we don't, someone doesn't go home and grab their weapon, someone doesn't go, Hey, you took my crap, I'm gonna go over there and take it back without some type of process. We have order, right? That's we're supposed to have order, and there's a civil justice system and there's a criminal justice system. And so, Alan Derserwis is a huge advocate, former law professor, um, very scholarly man. I respect his opinion greatly because he takes stances against people he doesn't support but based off principles he believes in there's a difference
0: absolutely and that's, and
1: that's truth that's following truth based off of a side and i'm passionate that's why i love the law the law lady justice wears a blindfold for a reason it's and we never talked about this but the the symbol of the justice system is as after a greek goddess themis she was the goddess of order people ask me what what does that all mean the the so, so late lady liberty not lady lady justice not lady liberty uh, the goddess Themis, and I don't believe in in, in other gods than, than than the Christian God, but I'm just saying that was it was a polytheistic society back then, meaning many many gods, and the the goddess Themis was the goddess of order, and so for an orderly society, in the justice system that's supposed to correct wrongs, Lady Justice should be blind. She doesn't see man, woman. She doesn't see your faith. She doesn't see your gender. She doesn't see your political affiliations. Whatever, right? In her right hand, she carries a sword because the justice system should be swift at times and harsh, the death penalty, whatever it is, at the right time. She puts her foot on the book. The book is the law book, the books of the law. How can you impl- uh, apply the law if you don't know the law? So a deep understanding, a command of the law. When you put your, your foot on something in victory, that means you command authority over it. So you have authority over the law. In between her foot and the book is a snake, Whether you're, regardless of your belief. The universal symbol of the snake is evil, the devil, right? So the justice system should smash out evil between the foot of justice and the the books of the law. And then in her left hand she carries what the scales.
0: Oh yes, of course. She has to balance it
1: all out. She has to balance out all the other stuff that's not there, the societal things, the law, the facts, the, you know, the future precedents. So. Lady Justice is a very unique symbol that means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot, I'm sure, to Alan Dershowitz.
0: So Dershowitz said he believes he he is participating in the impeachment trial to defend the integrity of the Constitution Mm -hmm. because it's going against what is the heart of the Constitution, and he also wants to prevent the creation of any... Dangerous constitutional constitutional precedent.
1: Yeah, he's, he's he's thinking of the next generation. He's really a level five leader, meaning that he cares more about uh, the successor than right now and his own personal opinions. I mean, one of the experts that the Democrat congressmen and women called—I forget his name. My buddy George knows it, and you might know it. I mean, he said, "Look, guys, this is wrong. I didn't vote for Trump. I don't like him. I don't care about this, that, and the other. But you guys are going down a, a, ba- a, a bunny trail here." This is going to set a horrible precedent moving forward. And then like so many people said, in the future, if there's a Democrat president, now what do you do? Now you've opened Pandora's box. And I've always said, you know, be careful the world you help create because someday you have to live in it. And this is a scary road, guys. I mean, I mean, seriously, I don't, regardless of your politics, who you like or dislike and your sensitivities, this is not a road that we want to go as a country.
0: Well, I I haven't read it, but I did read that Alan Dershowitz wrote a book called Guilty by Accusation, Mm. and in the book, he analyzes some false accusations that were made against him Mm. uh, that had to do with sexual misconduct, and he said, I get it, it's the age of me too, but accusations, it appears, these days are accepted as the truth, implicit truth, without giving the accused a fair
1: chance to Uh, defend themselves. (laughs) Once again, we go back to our discussion last week, a biblical principle that if violated even by an atheist and secular person, agnostic person, whatever, if it causes disorder in their life, meaning violated towards that person, false, you know, making false accusations. I mean, bearing false witness. Why, why that? Why is that hated? That's character assassination. My mom used to tell me growing up, she said, son, the tongue is a powerful weapon. And it's true. That's a biblical principle that the tongue is a powerful weapon. That's exactly right. And so we need to be very careful with that. And the reason why we have due process is for a reason. There's, there's also a passage in Proverbs that says the first one to speak up in a lawsuit sounds correct until the cross examination begins. It's all biblical. Cross examination is a biblical principle from Proverbs. And so that's what Mr. Dershowitz is talking about that we cannot be in a society where it's a he said, she said, he said, he said, she said, she said, she said situation. It's dangerous. That's a starting point. That is not the conclusion.
0: So the book is pretty much a plea for fairness for both the accuser and the accused, but it never seems to happen. I mean, right now, it just appears sometimes that due process is not
1: as respected as public opinion. Well, look, here's we can overcorrect both ways. I mean, I've prosecuted many, many cases, very ugly cases. I am not for victims not getting their day in court as well. And there were years, this is an overcorrection. There were years because of powerful people, because of circumstances, victims were, were held down. They were not given a, an opportunity to talk. There was a lot of quote unquote cover ups, not just in politics. I'm talking about just in general, in different communities and small towns and, you know, good old boy stuff. And I get it. That was very real. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, to, to demean that at all. But the overcorrection is now this. This is the overcorrection. Again, you know, compassion without wisdom is dangerous. Compassion without wisdom is dangerous. Empathy without wisdom is dangerous. And so the overcorrection is now if anybody makes an accusation, that's it. It's true. And that is horrible. So where is the the balance? Where is the truth? And that's a word that's overused. I don't like that word. But where where do we find ourselves as a society that we pause, that we have fundamental fairness, that we have a process, that it is an accusation, and that we follow it up with, with something called evidence, That we can substantiate an accusation and if somebody is guilty you hold them accountable absolutely but we don't just believe people just off the start i'm not saying ignore them but to take it as if it is a fact that just that turns into a situation karen where whoever yells loudest and whoever yells more consistently wins and that's not an orderly society
0: so dershowitz wrote the book guilty by accusation because he was accused of sexual misconduct, but isn't the exact same thing happening to the president? If you look at all of the facts, isn't there something missing from the charges against Trump, like an indictable offense?
1: Yeah, we've talked about that in shows before, and I'm still waiting for it. I really am. There's other scholars that have spent time, because they have the time, to analyze this in detail. I'm still waiting for it. As as a, as a prosecutor, as a defense attorney, as someone that really is passionate about our justice system and the order of law and order and due process, I, There there there's nothing to move forward on objectively. I'm talking about objectively. There's nothing. There might be some sensitivities of people that were offended, but there's nothing legally to move forward. And there's been scholars, re- reputable scholars on both sides of the quote unquote aisle on this deal that, that have said that. It That's just, why this is dangerous.
0: It, and it... I mean, again, just reiterating what I just said. Um, sometimes if it is a true charge that endangers America or is an abuse of power, you don't really wait for anything to happen until after Christmas recess. Right. <laughs> you don't, you, there's no like timeline on when it happens. So let's take a break and we'll come back because they had to regroup.
1: Well, it, it just seems like the goalpost keeps missing, keeps moving. And, you know, there's new evidence. I mean, everything, every term, every time you turn, there's new evidence. If, if I prosecuted a case that way or if any prosecutor, all of a sudden there was an indictment or an allegation of an indictment. They never got the official indictment. Then the accusations kept changing and there was all this, quote, unquote, new evidence. It's either like you're not doing your, your investigation properly and then that makes you suspect. Or where are you pulling this stuff out of? How can you have all this, quote, unquote, new evidence? All the time. I mean, and then, and then old accusations just kind of d- dissipate into the side. And again, I'm not defending or not defending anybody. I'm just looking at this as a system that is going to be in place moving forward. For my kids and our grandkids and the country moving forward, long after I'm gone and I've moved on, I'm just saying this should worry people. This is not the system we want because then whoever's in control, I'm telling you that we we, we have experiments in other countries. Under communist regime and socialistic ideologies, I'm telling, it's whoever's in power controls. There's nothing objective. There's no checks and balance. It becomes a yelling match. It becomes violent after a while. You watch, be very careful. And and it's disorderly and there's no progress. I mean, you know, growth.
0: There is a case that came back into the news this week that I know you have personal ties to, and I definitely want to talk about it. It's about uh, Janine Jones. Mm. And I know there's no new evidence, but there was a new trial. You need to explain all of that to us.
1: Janine Jones was an individual, and now she's, she's admitted she's convicted, murderer. She was convicted in Kerrville of murdering a child, an infant. She was convicted in San Antonio, Bexar County, for injury a child causing serious bodily injury. And some old parole laws were going to allow her to get out of March, in March of 2018. And I'll tell you about that when we come back.
0: 1200 WOAI, this is Sidebar with Nico LaHood, LaHood Norton Law. Please feel free to give them a call, The Law Group at 210 797. Seven seven zero zero. That can help you out. So, Nico, um, Janine Jones was back in back in the uh, news this week, and apparently, she made a plea with prosecutors in connection with the death of a San Antonio baby. And then Number she was them. sentenced to life. Please help us understand. This was forty years ago that right, this happened. Right.
1: So, so she was convicted in Kerrville of murder of a child. She McClellan, Chelsea McClellan, um, got to know her mama Patty very very well through this process she was a tremendous advocate for these moms and for the families that quote-unquote didn't get justice over the years she uh, janine jones was suspected in up to 60 infant suspected in up to 60 infant deaths i mean babies are being held in mommy's arms and, and giving her injections and the hero syndrome theories it was horrible and they're they they're flatlining and code blueing in their in their mom's arms and, and on her watch, and so there was a lot of evidence, but it was circumstantial at best, and I'm not trying to take shots at any previous DAs, but, but previous DAs them before me just said they did, there was no way that it was too old, there's nothing that could be done. An old parole law that was coming up, there was a judge at the time that she was convicted in Bear County of injury to a child causing serious bodily injury. She was convicted in Kerrville for murder. She was given life, old parole laws back then. Dealing with overcrowding was going to get her out at a certain time. The judge, in my humble opinion at the time, mistakenly ran them concurrent, meaning at the same time, instead of consecutive, one after the other. And so she was absolutely getting out at the end of March in 2018. We had her phone conversations from prison, but also she just was getting out. I mean, the parole law, it's grandfathered in from back then, the current law, she wouldn't have gotten out, but back then. And I made a promise while I was running for district attorney. I said, "Look, I don't know the case specifically, but I promise you, I'll look into it. And if there's anything, and there's any legal and ethical way we can keep her in incarcerated, we're going to do it." So and, when I go ahead,
0: oh, I was just going to say. So how did it even? Yeah. How did, did somebody call you? Did no. how how did it that was just, even? It was, say, it was
1: a topic that always came up during campaigning, and so I would heard about Janine Jones. Of course, I'm forty seven, and so I had known about it. I didn't. I wasn't intimately involved with it, obviously. So when I got into office. I'm honored to one of the lawyers that works for me now, Jason Goss. He's board certified in criminal law. He's brilliant. One of the best lawyers I've ever worked with as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. He came to me and said, Nico, um, I know you're going to assign that case to somebody. I'll take the Janine Jones case. It was like in February when I first got in in January. I had tons of things dealing with, dealing with, you know, my predecessor had been there for 16 years. I'm doing things, changing things up, getting acclimated to the new position. I said, absolutely. It was like tons and tons, literally, of boxes. And Jason had a docket. He was a court chief. So he had at least 900 cases on his docket daily. And he had to deal with three other prosecutors that he supervised and some investigators. And he took this stuff home. I assigned a team to him, an investigator that had been working on this case over the years, and and some help, paralegals. And he dug through those boxes. And I said, I'm going to tell you something, Jason. Don't bring me, and I said the full word, don't bring me any BS cases. And I'm not saying that these aren't legitimate issues. I'm just saying give me cases that are based off evidence that we can go to a jury I mean, recently not play this off. This is not going to be a stunt. I want ones that we can indict and that we can actually prosecute and try that case as soon as the judge gives us the green light if it goes forward. And he says, okay. And so out of those 60 potential cases or 50-something, w- he brought me five as time went on. And we indicted five new cases on Janine Jones. Um, you know, I've, if, the, if the Lord had me in that position as district attorney just, just for this case, it would have been worth it. I mean, there were many other incidents that I'm. I'm happy that we were involved in, and that the uh, the great work that me and the whole team together. So I always say we did together. I could have done nothing by myself. Accomplished for for our community. This was one of them. There's no way that woman should have gotten out, and and now she's gonna she's gonna stand before the Lord at some point uh, from prison. It seems like so. We had these cases indicted. These five cases. Uh, I, I say this respectfully. I would have done it differently. I would have tried the cases. I know those cases well. They were all good cases. We could have tried them, every single one of them. She's eligible for parole in 20 years. Um, whether Um So she got life, but she's eligible whether they give it to her or not, the parole board. I don't know. I don't know. I Everybody's got to make a decision. So the current administration made the decision they made, and, and they're going to – that's fine. But I'm just proud of the work that Jason and Jay and Maritza and other people that worked on this case – At the time, the team that we assigned and that I assigned did a wonderful job, and the families were just very gracious. They saw us this week, and they were very – they embraced us. They thanked us in tears. It was bittersweet. And we just kind of sat back in the corner, you know, let let whoever else get the attention you're going to get. The Lord keeps track of everything, and we know we did right by – for truth, justice, and for those families.
0: So, it, will they actually be trials? They will no. be trials. What What's going to happen?
1: No, she pled out. They They dismissed the other cases. They took them into consideration, and she pled on one of the one of the five indictments we had. And she pled to life, but but old life, but still, I mean, look, she's an older lady. Supposedly, she's been sick for years. Who knows? And she's eligible. Doesn't mean she's going to mandatorily get it. I think I believe if you look at the old grandfather law, she's eligible for parole in twenty years.
0: When I first heard that they were actually going to release her i I yeah, was like, "What yeah. what <laughs> how, how can But they? they
1: had no choice. The system had no choice under the laws because those cases were run concurrent because there was a grandfather parole law in place at that time. she was getting out. I'm telling you by this time she would be on a beach somewhere and she thought she was going to a beach. I assure you, did, and thank God that she's not
0: did any has any law changed that would have made her sentence?" Her whatever she got different today than when she was found guilty, you know, 40 years ago. Yes.
1: If you murder a child under 10 years old to include a child in the mommy's womb, you are eligible for capital punishment, which is punishable only one of two ways, death penalty or true life in prison. The old capital life, like when my brother was murdered in 1996, means that you're not eligible for parole until 40 years. So it's not mandatory release but you're eligible for parole in 40 years. That's the old Capital Life. Under current Capital Life, if you get capital get convicted of capital murder and get life sentence, you will pass away minus a pardon in prison. There's no eligibility for parole. So the laws have considerably changed.
0: It, it they have changed and I under I understand th- this tugged on heartstrings because they were babies, but now, I can't even remember just a few years ago, I heard of a nurse injecting something into, you know, the IV of a patient. And 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 so ha- what I know that you don't have the answer to this because mm. you're not in the medical field. But what what can be done to protect <laughs> the babies, well, the people,
1: the whatever? I mean, look, you, you, you put your life in people's hands when you go into different places and the hospital being one of them. Someone has evil intentions. They have evil intentions. If somebody wants to do something evil, you can take precautions, but they're going to do it. So you ask questions. I always tell parents to ask questions. If you go into some medical procedures or into the hospital, don't just assume that everything that's happening is appropriate and you have a right to say no to certain medical procedures or medicines or things of this nature. And so ask questions. Always ask brand new babies as well. I mean, you ask questions. What's being put in your child? Do your homework, do your research educate yourself. There's another biblical passage, Hosea 4, 6, that says my people perish for lack of knowledge. And that's true. Um, lack of knowledge in health, finances, marital, relationship, business, spiritual, medical, whatever. So knowledge is power. As we say, it is very true. And so educate yourself.
0: When is it that you saw the the parallels, the, the uh the similarities between the Bible and Christianity and the
1: law, because there are so many. Oh, there's a lot. There's, there's many, many, by the way. Uh, it was as I got into the study, as I opened my eyes and I started studying what the Christian biblical worldview meant and advocated. And I started actually reading and studying the passage. I mean, the three branches of government, just to give you and from Isaiah 33:22, that's where they got the three branches of government from. I mean, in Isaiah twenty thirty three twenty two, it says the Lord is our judge. That's the judicial branch. The, the Lord is our lawgiver. That's the legislative branch. And the Lord is our king. That's the executive branch. Now they set it up in a way. That's one of many. The cross-examination that I said earlier from Proverbs that the first one in a lawsuit claims to be right or seems to be right until the cross-examination begins. Um, oath in court. So help me God. I mean, that's all from Old Testament passages and some New Testament too. You're given your oath to tell the truth. God's Character is one of truth. Jesus in John 18 said, I came to testify to the truth. In John eight thirty one, the truth will set you free. So in the court of law, the truth uh, theoretically sets you free, right? And so that's why you say, as me swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. Now, some people take off to help me God because it's help me God. If I violate God's character of truth, then so only God can help me because I'm screwed. You know, that's the idea from our inception. This is where it comes from. I mean, John Jay, the first chief justice of the supreme court he he advocated back then praying over juries so they get the verdicts right taking the oath he wanted christians as our leaders and he says a very specific quote that says that i mean this is the first chief justice of the united states i mean imagine that today so i just started studying biblical principles as i got into the law i wasn't a lawyer until i went to law school and then graduated and passed the bar but as i started reading the law and then i i knew my faith i was like wait a minute there has to be somewhere this came from, and I started putting them together, and it's fascinating to see the parallels.
0: I have one more question for sure. you, and you asked us to ask ourselves this, and now I'm going to ask you, why sure. are you a Christian?
1: <laughs> um, I'm a Christian because after looking at all the evidence and questioning the evidence and testing the evidence and researching it, it's true. Christianity's true. That's the only reason. It's not easy being a Christian. It's hard. But I believe it's worth it. And I've applied biblical principles in my life and I've seen the fruits of it. And I know God is true. And I believe I'm going to stand before him when I'm called off this earth. And I want to be able to answer for everything I do in my life. So I'm a Christian because I believe it's true.
0: Have a great
1: weekend. Bless you guys.